chapter twenty one of transition this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org transition by emma frances brooke chapter twenty one like a pierced air-ball lucilla's illusion had collapsed all night she lay with wide open eyes and motionless body while wave after wave of shame and agony passed over her an excessive wound had been dealt to her sensitiveness only when all the written or unspoken social rules that had erected an invisible fortress around her within which her delicate girlhood had moved and acted brave and free as a lad is only when these were destroyed did she realize their existence and her defencelessness without them against the brutal tyranny of individualistic lawlessness hitherto sex had meant to her simply one of the conditions and modalities of daily existence she had been scarcely conscious of it its meaning was now discovered to her not through some glorious passion revealing her possession of so sweet and dignified an attribute but through the cruelest humiliation every now and then a sigh of anguish escaped her she was faint and giddy under the blow i am killed she said i am killed i can never recover it never look with the same eyes again and at the same time her judgment repeated that this which had happened had been wrapped in the premise from the first beautiful possibility recondite loveliness exquisite aspiration might be there too but then so was this also this lawless permission of tyrannous outrage by one individual will on another when morning came after the sleepless darkness her mind was able to stir a little under its weight of humiliation the pane of her window from which the curtain was drawn back showed a grey bit of sky from which a mingled shower of sleet and rain fell on the roofs and chimneys the temperature of the air had sunk suddenly and it was as piercingly raw and cold this morning as it had been close and warm last night lucilla dragged herself out of bed and began her dressing operations halfway through them she lit her fire the growing warmth of the room and her own movements acted as a stimulus and suddenly her memory took up the thread of last night's event at that constant hint of d'auvernay's of some conspiracy a-brewing and then she recalled the promise of secrecy she had given lucilla dropped her brush upon her knee and sat very still a frown upon her brow how was she to know that this contemplated action which she had pictured as a great simultaneous rising of the people in the cities named was a popular bid for liberty at all and not a mere individual outrage such as her sharp lesson of the night before had taught her was possible ought she to keep that vow which she had made or ought she to break it and inform the doubt and the question were alike frightful and far beyond her present mental capacity to resolve she threw herself back in her chair and closing her eyes tried to find her way out of the shocking trap into which she had stepped the thought of paul brought her a momentary hope which was as instantly erased it was impossible to write to paul 
or any other man she had lost her bearings in life and could not find the old unconscious freedom of her former attitude the change was in herself now tears of anguish slow scarce drops stole down her cheeks i cannot write i am broken she whispered her next move was to spring from her chair and hurry on her dressing if she was to keep her sanity she must escape from these overwhelming thoughts into some cheerful human society honora's comfortable presence was the single refuge open to her and to that she fled the hour was so extremely early that lucilla reached the school before her friend had sat down to breakfast honora was moving about her bright and cheerful room opening letters and putting little things to rights when lucilla suddenly slipped in at the door why you strange quiet sweet little mouse cried honora whom instinct led to be lavish of tender epithets to lucilla how did you get here i just came said lucilla fighting for a smile have you had breakfast lucilla started and faintly coloured no when i come to think of it i haven't honestly i forgot hm said honora stamping her foot let me feel your hands down you sit by the fire at once i'm going to take off your boots bit of a thing you are trembling come nestle up was there ever such a piece of errant foolery let me see your eyes not my eyes honora dear probably you have been shedding tears over the woes of the east end and starving yourself by way of setting the balance straight if i could only induce you to leave the world's misery to stronger shoulders than your own mr sheridan's for instance and to stick to your own morsel of duty not that i would forbid you to help mr sheridan in a reasonable measure but do remember you are a woman yes said lucilla in a low voice that is the ghastly part of it ghastly fiddlesticks it is one of those facts that has to be looked well in the face and then forgotten mr sheridan's heart is no doubt a deep and kind one though i consider him on the whole detestable and have every reason for supposing he feels the world's misery as much as you do but men's nerves don't lie on the surface they carry the burden of life lightly and throw off impressions more easily the very fact that they don't cry when they are tired or when any one speaks roughly to them marks a permanent difference when things go cross with them they play billiards and smoke and score anyhow now we creep away and sob honora was stooping on one knee by lucilla's side she had lucilla's foot on the other knee and was unlacing the boot lucilla stole a long covetous look at the bent head with its rippling dark hair if only she had not repressed her yearning to lay bare to honora's quizzical eyes and temperate nature her own confused story but her mind had been too long off the balance to permit her to lay hold of common sense now and to drop her personal perplexity into the genial stream of indifferent events now there's all this bother about emancipation continued honora i went in for that once you know and of course i'm all for clearing away our disabilities now including stays and tears if it can be compassed but the fact is lucilla i discovered the very moment i had found a work that suited me and set to doing it that i was emancipated now you taught me that bit of wisdom you instructed me in the effectiveness of revolving in one's own circle constantly instead of taking a meteoric course yes said lucilla there 
the boots are off at last said honora rising i don't know how it is lucilla but the sight of you stirs within me the prevision that i am a born mother a caterer for a tableful of hungry naughty children with my mind on jams and consolation i am glad you are small it makes it more dignified and fitting that i should kiss you thus squeeze you in my arms this way as though you were a child you are a child lucilla i never saw such inveterate babyhood on any other face such a singular and inconvenient and abject innocence of contour oh i know everything now she lifted up her face with her scared eyes wide open again it was on the tip of her tongue to make wise confession do you indeed everything i should imagine bonny face exquisite little mortal i feel something between a clumsy giantess and a wise matriarch beside you i don't know what that word means and believe i invented it otherwise it is historical perhaps leslie says i am weak in history what i mean by it is the feel don't you know at the bottom of your heart every time you realize the helplessness of a grown man to achieve his own salvation in details a sort of excruciated pity that so cumbrous an animal should be so constantly inadequate i believe we knew we were mothers before men knew they were men it's that which makes it inevitable that we should love them well i have very much the same sort of feeling towards you and your superior character and intellect honora was moving about now and looking after the breakfast coffee shall it be lucilla i mean to make it myself also hot toast muffins and more substantial viands arrived from below thin little hand i believe you are one of those women who expect to obtain greater refinement and clearness of thought by the simple process of starvation if women would but realize that nourishing food is the basis of right thinking i believe they would rescue themselves from absurdity am i absurd honora chronically so my sweetest lucilla honora yes is it my turn to take the english citizen class this week certainly it is my clever mite have you anything ready i thought i would speak to them upon the generalizing faculty have you observed a curious thing about women only too many my dear but we are in a conspiracy to paint the sex as perfection and to reserve our reviling for individual members i have no one to revile saving myself i am sad honora i want to tell the children through some simple lesson that women have two chief things to conquer in life one is the brain inertia that prevents them from ever making a generalization at all the other is the want of control of staying power that impels them if ever they do achieve a generalization to fling themselves headlong after it into some precipitate and fatal action honora's gaiety of manner concealed some very serious anxiety on lucilla's account she persuaded her friend to remain with her for the four following nights longer than that lucilla would not assent to then honora extracted a promise that before she went back to her flat she would send the key to a neighbour and at least have the room prepared and warmed for her return lucilla consented friday morning which was to see her termination of the week's school work stood out to her imagination shrouded in vague surmise d'auvernay would have reached paris by then a cloud of dismay and anxiety hung over her mind she would rather get back to her flat and meet the event alone meanwhile she concealed her feeling of illness and mental disturbance as well as she could from her friend and combated nervous attacks of terror by assiduous application to work honora took in a morning paper but rarely herself perused it 
the sight of it on the table at breakfast would steal from lucilla the possibility of swallowing her food and after breakfast she opened it with dread friday morning arrived here is the paper said honora pushing it towards her i never have time to read it the government will i dare say look after the country if i look after my school lucilla opened it there seemed nothing special in the foreign intelligence upon which her eye had instantly pounced she was turning the other pages listlessly when her attention was caught by a heading that instantly riveted it the evening before that is on the thursday sheridan in company with littleton had attended in the public gallery a sitting of the school board it was dark when they came out and first crossing to the river side of the embankment they turned their faces in the direction of westminster both of them noticed that under the arch near the offices of the thames conservancy the figure of a man was leaning neither of them remarked seeing they were walking in an opposite direction that he moved from his position as they approached and crossing the road in the direction from which they came kept pace with them upon the other side if they had happened to observe these movements neither would have attached meaning or importance to them they walked along in the negligent security habitual to persons who belonged to a comparatively speaking well-ordered city it had been snowing for a couple of days but for the moment the sky was clear and beautiful above the white-clad trees and houses they chose the riverside because of the quiet beauty of the scene and continued their walk along the embankment for the same reason the cold of the atmosphere was sensibly diminishing and a thaw was imminent at present however it was calm and beautiful enough to tempt them to stop and stand by the wall and look over the river and draw once more to their citizen hearts the never-wearying feel of the great city as the thames and its embankments carry it sheridan in particular was saturated with the emotion of london in the daytime this emotion was done into the prose of his continuous labours for the city of his birth and love in the evening and rare moments at such an hour as this when she hung her lights above and around the river and shrouded her pinnacles and towers in a mystery and beauty that was something over and above their own in such a moment it affected him from that region of ideality and poetry which were strongly hidden in his imagination but which left a mark conspicuously in his eyes and on his brows it escaped him now in a sense of the vastness and quietness of this central scene of a city not yet asleep beneath the night and then of the vastness and quietness of unseen things above and beyond the turmoil of our best endeavour of the grand indifferent persistence that draws us on when we ourselves think that we are pulling a sigh escaped him i must hold to my own thought he as he felt that greater reach upon him to that little which i am able to see there had run through the dim places of his imagination a faint shudder a whisper of doubt it was not superstition it was the profound surmise of a strong intellect that the arrayed forces contain an incalculable remainder the tribute of a powerful mind to its own fallibility and of a splendid will to the small quiet something which is mightier than itself in such moments the character of sheridan's face changed it became the face of a virile man subduing himself to the strong correction of that impenetrable greatness which warns us of the subordination and smallness of ourselves it will all be spoiled to-morrow said littleton looking round him after the silence but it is perfect to-night the two walked on the dogging figure unobserved upon the other side until westminster bridge was reached here they crossed again and struck northwards 
let us go by parliament street in the park said sheridan there is plenty of time and it will be quieter their destination was spring gardens sheridan had an appointment at the offices of the county council and was proposing afterwards to spend the evening in the society of an ex-cabinet minister who wished to take his opinion upon a subject of which he was known to have a deeper acquaintance and more originality of thought than most men as they walked on sheridan suddenly took back a joyous militant bearing and broke out into his habitual raillery at the liberal party i'm sick at them said he they haven't it in them so far as i can make out to muster a programme they are looking about for an election cry in the stars with this misery-infested city lying at their feet in effect they acknowledge that they can't think of anything to come before the country with save home rule welsh disestablishment and liquor one would think we had cleared everything up and were forced into imbecility for want of a job hardhead asked me to call to-night and have a talk on the rates question i'm willing enough but i mean to put in a word or two about the programme by the way they've got to accept mine if they can't think of one of their own but what are we to make of a set of men who stand for office and have to seek for their working ideas outside anywhere where there's a brain furnished enough to look about it i'm sick at the thing first they grope about for a programme then when someone outside has sketched one which has a little more to do with the interests of the majority of the voters than the behaviour of the moon and when they've got elected into power on a genuine cry payment of members and things of the kind which touch the heart of the question then to a dead certainty they'll drop it on they'll go pottering at something off the mark instead of promptly setting right half a dozen abuses that lie at the root of london's misery and which it is their privilege to be able to remedy from the different departments by so many strokes of the pen without applying to parliament at all they had turned into parliament street and were nearing the park here it was lonely and still no one was in the street that they could see save that moving figure on the other side of the road just then the man crossed over a little before them in the heat of conversation they hardly noticed him sheridan was on the inside of the path they were close on the man's heels now suddenly he turned round and made as though he had changed his mind and was in a violent hurry to return he pushed rudely against sheridan and in that moment the latter felt littleton throw the whole of his weight violently upon him so as to propel him to the right in the same instant a stinging burning pain in his left side forced from him a sharp scream and he stumbled forwards fainting on to the snow my god cried littleton i saw the knife in the man's hand after him some of you fellows he ran towards the park a big man with a bushy beard the road had appeared to be empty it was full now of hurrying people littleton was on his knees in the snow by paul's side and was gently endeavouring to turn him over someone lent him a hand the sight sickened him the knife was still in the wound round the blade near the haft was a piece of paper with an inscription upon it rendered illegible by the flow of blood i don't think he's badly hurt said a quiet voice near him i'm not a doctor but i know a little of these matters i'll help you to lift him the blow fell short of the mark somehow but it was a near squeak too i saw the man reiterated littleton and i saw him raise the knife there wasn't time to do anything but throw my friend forwards just so you saved him or so i believe the next few hours were a nightmare of misery to littleton in addition to the uncertainty about his friend was the sordid horror of the police inquiry littleton could throw no light upon the matter he could only repeat the story of the man's sudden movement to return of sheridan's absorption in his talk of the extraordinary swiftness of the blow 
and of his own impulse to divert the stroke from a vital part by thrusting his friend to the side with the man himself he had no acquaintance he was a complete stranger dark and wearing a bushy beard to the motive of the deed he was absolutely without a clue it was not until saturday evening that littleton was admitted to paul's sick-room the verdict of the doctors had been however favourable from the first the wound though painful was not dangerous the shock being probably the worst part of the matter that was the reason of their keeping the patient in strict seclusion the assault had taken place on thursday night on the saturday morning sheridan was sufficiently recovered to be able to reply to a few inquiries of the police who were still vainly searching for the assassin on the saturday evening at his urgent request littleton was admitted to his room littleton found him lying in bed white from loss of blood and weak though in no kind of danger are you pretty comfortable old fellow asked he tenderly pretty fair it bites a bit of course but i don't know exactly why i'm lying here except that the doctors will have it so i'm forbidden to talk or to read or to think i believe for the present i'm to do nothing but lie and heal up it won't be long so they tell me it's a mere trifle just a little patience required i expect they'll let me come in and sit with you now and then i fancy yes thanks did you see that paper what paper littleton looked a little startled the paper through which the knife was thrust the police called for evidence about it this morning i had to see them well you see they have deciphered it they showed it to me the inscription was to the traitor littleton to whom have i been a traitor lord knows old fellow i don't nor i expect does any one who is in full possession of his senses a slight smile hovered over sheridan's lips well he said my own opinion is that our friend is an uncommonly acute fellow and knew particularly well what he was about he they have no bigger foe than i am in england the chief commissioner of police he added still with half-veiled amusement is not in it with me you have a clue then sheridan you see pursued the latter calmly when a fellow sticks a knife into you you naturally look up to inquire before going under i did so and i saw the man's eyes plainly above the false beard and recognized him i don't know if i must say as much as that he was safe out of england you may be certain before i was well enough to be questioned littleton considered a little and will never come back again i believe said he after a pause i think i follow you now but he is caught on another count it appears he went to paris he went there on business of a sort and he was prompt at it too the chamber of deputies or something on a great scale is supposed to have been his object unfortunately what he carried about him had to be disposed of hastily before the time or he lost his nerve or something went wrong and he threw his bomb too soon any one hurt a nursemaid carrying a baby so much of the bourgeoisie as may have been comprehended in a single infant in arms has i am afraid perished a few windows have been broken in addition and the police caught their man i am sorry to hear this poor d'auvernay the man did not understand the meaning of the idea at the back of his own mind that was why it wrecked him i believe i can follow it better than he did i believe i see the reach of it ever so much clearer than he i have never denied the fineness in it the idea of the anarchist is a right sort of leaven it is when it gets into the wrong hands that it becomes damnable and absurd i hate to hear of a man experiencing defeat like this d'auvernay was sincere enough in all conscience and besides when he struck at me he showed himself sagacious i can forgive a man much on that count 
i stand as the biggest foe of anarchism in england because i understand it d'auvernay is perspicacious at least a lesser man would have struck at the home secretary or chief commissioner of police paul lay silent for a moment then he added in a gentle voice i think you and i need not add our little bit of information to the sum of things against the poor fellow honestly i had not put two and two together when the police called this morning we'll just lie low shall we and so the thing was in to-day's paper just so paul lay silent presently he turned his head wearily to the wall it was the only movement permitted him at present littleton was excruciated to detect the signs of agitation in his face he touched his hand kindly i won't stay now said he tenderly you'd better be quiet when you've picked up a little more i'll come and act as amanuensis and that kind of thing paul suddenly opened his eyes i have a message to send said he it isn't at all urgent but i should like to give it while i remember all right what is it when shall you call at miss kemble's to-morrow probably i usually go there on sundays can i do anything for you if you should see lucilla lucilla is not there on sunday she would be on monday if i went then monday will do if you should see her tell her from me that i am all right scarcely hurt a bit say that it is a trifle and that i shall soon be well and about again very well i shall not forget i will call at the school on monday thanks that will do is it a cold night horrible all yesterday it thawed and to-day is a black and miserable frost End of chapter twenty one